0: My name is Humble Gray, and I am a Mississippi farmer. Our great President Donald J. Trump has been accused of being anti-science. I find that hard to believe, since it was he who came up with the coronavirus vaccine, working in his secret laboratory off the West Wing. He was too modest to take the credit, though, and let the folks at Pfizer accept the Huzzahs. Didn't take a penny for it, neither. I won't profit off public service, said he, as he prepared the transition for Joseph R. Biden, a man, incidentally, who didn't invent a vaccine. I swear, just saying President Joe Biden causes my left eye to twitch, and saying it for four years might just give me a full-on stroke, I don't know. But anyway, Mr. Trump, despite his scientific accomplishments, he's been branded as being against science. Well, let me tell you a story that'll prove that those who come up with all this science, the so-called scientists, aren't all that much after all. When it comes to vital discoveries, they can be as wrong as any no-account drunk with a third-grade education. Now, this incident, it happened just a year ago last spring when yours truly was out plowing a hundred-acre sorghum field. Now, I like sorghum because it resists drought and heat. It's not like corn. It don't act like a ballroom debutante demanding 600,000 gallons of water per acre on a dryland farm. I don't mind saying, in fact, that its resilience is almost inspiring. There is one thing, though. You, you're going to raise it. you got to make sure you get rid of all the weeds in your fields or your plants will get strangled. Yes, indeed. Thus I hooked up my moldboard and set to plowing, so as my seedlings could thrive in pristine soil. Despite the import of my task, however, I was in high spirits that morning. Couldn't help it, because, well because the air was temperate and clear, and all of nature seemed to be greeting Farmer Gray with birdsong and chipmunk chatter. It was the sort of day where I truly felt at one with my tractor. At least for a bit, because fifteen minutes in I was snatched from my reverie. Snatched, I say, when I hit something so big and hard I was nearly knocked from my seat. As I climbed down, I expected to find that my blade had struck a sizable boulder. So imagine my surprise when I found that I had been impeded not by a rock, but by something that, as I brushed the dirt away, turned out to be long and curved and colored a dull yellow course I could only see part of it, but it was clear that if I was ever going to prepare the soil, I'd need all of it removed, so I backed off the thing and fetched my pickup, wrapping one end of a chain round the tow hitch and the other round the impediment. Then I took to pulling and, with some effort, dragged this strange object out of the ground. I say strange because, ladies and gentlemen, it was big and heavy, a good 12 feet long. And besides that, it was curved, as I said, with one end narrowing to a point. "'Where'd you come from?' says I. "'And long as I'm asking, what the heck are ye?' "'Well, not stupid. I knew it wasn't going to answer. "'But I towed the thing to the yard and hosed off the dirt to see if that would help me identify it. "'Turns out, no, that didn't help a bit, and I was at a loss as to what to do with this monstrosity.' It was too big to bring into the house, and besides, it must have weighed more than a hundred pounds. So I just left it in the grass and returned to the plow. Figured when I was done, I'd start asking round to see if anybody could tell me what it was. Ethan Clemmer Jr., Davis McClyde, Zeb of Zeb's Barbershop, Hank Ballard, they all drove out for a look, and they all had different opinions. Some Indian artifact, suggests Zeb, from the Choctaw or Yazoo, most likely. Naw, says Hank. I'd say it's a strut from a Viking boat. Everybody knows they got here before Columbus. Nonsense, says Davis. That's alien technology if ever I saw it. Probably brought here by visitors from Alpha Seti Five. You know, that one from Star Trek. No way, says Zeb. It's more like a big ski. A ski, says Davis. Buddy, we live in the flatlands. What kind of skiing's going on around here? To which Zeb replied, cross country? Finally, Jamie Talbot, graduate of Hines Community College, and thus the town intellectual, sought to settle the question once and for all, and he did so by bringing in his old biology professor, Dr. Dr. Grady Barnes. Jamie, who graduated with an associate's degree in accounting, has a job doing the books at Wright's Wright-friendly service station, and he likes the work well enough, though he's somewhat tired of proprietor Morgan Wright's constantly pointing out a certain irony. That is, that here Jamie has a college degree, and he's working for a boss who dropped out of high school. Ain't that something, Morgan will say. It's like you would have been more successful without all that book learning. "Uh Uh-huh, says Jamie, and then he goes back to his figuring. Anyway, Dr. Barnes and Jamie, they, they drove up in the professor's 2008 Pontiac Grand Prix, a luxury vehicle if ever I saw one, betraying the princely salary they must pay their instructors at the community college. "'A short fellow, heavy set and with a walrus mustache. "'The professor gave me a hearty and impressive handshake and said, "'Well, let's see this thing that's been causing all the excitement round here. "'Yes, sir,' says I, leading them over to the whatever it was. "'Seems like a mystery with a thousand answers,' says I, "'and none of them correct. "'Well,' says Dr. Barnes, "'nothing I like more than the puzzle.' "'He's big time,' says Jamie, referring to the portly pedagogue.' almost had a paper published in the International Journal of Biological Sciences. Came this close, says the professor, holding his thumb and forefinger a quarter inch apart. But we're not here to discuss my accolades. We're here to... And with that, he was brought up short, for we'd come upon the object. Well, I'll be, says Dr. Barnes. Look what we have here. You recognize it, sir? asked Jamie. I do indeed, says the older man. I do indeed. And if I'm not mistaken, dear listeners, this last was said with something akin to reverence. That, gentleman says the professor, is a tusk. What, says I, like from an elephant? And I wondered if years ago a pachyderm had escaped when the Seal Family Circus came to town, only to meet its end on Gray Farm. Almost an elephant, but not quite, says Dr. Barnes. I'm talking about a mastodon, a prehistoric beast that once roamed these lands sort of like a woolly mammoth, but not so hairy. A woolly mammoth, but not so hairy, says Jamie, clearly impressed. See, that's why I pursued an education, to meet the great minds of our age. Well, shucks, says the professor, any biologist worth his salt could have told you what it was. Then he asked the big question. Farmer Gray, says he, is there a chance, just a chance, that we can mount this at my college? Why, to possess such a fossil, especially one found right here in Mississippi, would be quite a feather in our cap. In fact, we could even have a brass plaque in front saying, Donated Courtesy of Truvo's Own Farmer Gray. What do you think of that? Well, the idea of going from simple agrarian to college benefactor was pretty heady stuff, and I saw no reason not to send my great discovery to the halls of academe. If you pay to tow it, says I, it's all yours, Professor. Dr. Barnes clapped Jamie on the back. "'Thanks for informing me of this,' says the teacher, and then he points to me. "'And my gratitude to you, sir, for your generosity.' "'Don't thank me,' says I. "'Thank my moldboard plow. "'Twas she who found it.'" Well, later that day, some more folks from the college showed up, securing that tusk to a flatbed and driving it away. After that, word of the what-you-call-mastodon spread fast. For instance, I got a call next morning from a reporter at WREG Memphis asking to come by and interview me about it. And the Commercial Appeal, the Oxford Eagle, and the Quitman County Democrat, they all wanted to do a spread on the thing with pictures and everything. The college even designated a special case for the Tusk. Well, it was one they built to hold trophies won by their football team, the Tri-County Squirrels, but it was completely empty, so... Anyway, the day of the big unveiling came, and yours truly was the guest of honor. All the most prominent local citizens were there, too, including Buzz Fleming, our first selectman, Emmett Flagg, president of the Improved Order of Heptasofts, Lodge 23, Morris Selwyn, dean of the college, and Reverend Wally of First Baptist. Jamie and Dr. Barnes were there, too, of course, along with friends and well-wishers who'd come to celebrate my beneficence in giving this rare treasure to the school. It was all very dramatic, too, with the case covered with bedsheets that were to be whipped off at the unveiling. And in keeping with the import of the occasion, hors d'oeuvres were spread across a long, white cloth folding table, including pigs in a blanket and various crudités. Red and white wine flowed as well, though I did not imbibe, for the bottles belonged to a California brand, and I will not support a liberal communist state. Davis MacLyde had no such compunctions, though, for he had, by twenty minutes in, consumed enough alcohol to render him somewhat more loquacious than usual. "'Your credit to the community,' he slurred, throwing his arm round my shoulder. "'But you know what I thought when I saw that long, curved thing on your lawn? You know what I thought?' "'Uh, no, Davis,' says I. "'What did you think?' "'Peyroni's disease,' says he. "'You know what that is, Peyroni's disease?' "'No,' I replied. "'I don't reckon I do.' "'Hey, Professor,' calls he to Dr. Barnes, "'you ever heard of Peyronie's disease? "'Tell our foul Farmer Gray all about it. "'Peyronie's disease.' "'I, uh, no, I won't,' says the instructor. "'Then Davis grabs me tighter and says, "'Your wife, Elspeth, she's a lucky woman, "'and I swear there were tears in his eyes. "'Then he let go and leaned sideways against the wall, "'his head down. "'Note to self.' Drinking with Davis leads to baffling conversations. Finally, Professor Barnes called for everyone's attention. If I may, ladies and gentlemen, says he, and in keeping with the times, those who identify as non-binary, the moment has come to reveal Hines Community College's prize exhibit. In ages past, this mighty beast thundered across Mississippi, six tons in weight and ten feet tall at the shoulder and though he has been long gone, he left behind evidence of his, ex- of his existence for our man of the hour, Farmer Gray, to find and generously donate to our institution. Then he beckoned me forward. Join me up here, will you, sir? I did so, and proudly, as two biology students ready to pull the sheets off the display case. I give you, says Dr. Barnes, the mastodon. With this, the sheets came off, and the tusk was revealed behind glass, taking up the length of the case. Hearty applause rose from the audience, along with various exclamations of goodness, and it's so big. Dean Selwyn, says the professor, would you read the plaque? Gladly, says the head of the college, putting on his specs to see the square of brass affixed to the outside of the case. It says here, this tusk belonged to mammoth Americanum, the American mastodon, which roamed this area some 16,000 years ago donation courtesy of local farmer, Humble Gray. This was met with more applause, but I have to say that this time not everybody clapped their hands, including me, for there seemed to be some error. Thank you for the kind words, says I, but whoever made the plaque seems to have hurried through and produced a mistake. Oh, says Dr. Barnes, what mistake is that? Well, says I, the earth is only 6,000 years old, give or take, so you see... It would be impossible for this tusk to have had its birthday 16,000 years ago. But I'm sure if you just send that plaque back to the engraver, they'll be happy to correct the date. Dr. Barnes asked why I thought the earth had been made just five dozen thousand years ago, so I mentioned a little book he might have forgotten about called God's Holy Bible. If I may, says Reverend Wally, moving to the front of the crowd, The date of the creation was calculated by no less a man of letters than Archbishop James Usher of the Church of Ireland. He figured out through a combination of historical erudition, astronomy, and biblical scholarship that the Lord brought the universe into existence on the evening of October 22nd, 4004 BC. Well, actually, says the professor, the universe is 13.8 billion years old. At that, the reverend began to laugh. Laughed so hard, in fact, that he doubled over and put his hands on his knees. He was winded when he rose back up. Oh my, says he, 13.8 billion years? That's way off. Amen, Pastor, says I, followed by a smattering of the crowd, including First Selectman Fleming and Lodge President Flagg. Then how do you explain dinosaurs, says the dean, all smug, arms folded. The behemoth of Job, 4015, says Pastor Wally. There's your proof that dinosaurs and man shared the planet at the same time. And as for that, adds he, pointing to the contents of the display case, "There's no tu- that's no tusk, my learned friend. What you have there is a rib bone from the Nephilim, the giants killed in the Great Flood. You know, the thought had occurred to me, reverend, says I, but now I hear you say it, it makes even more sense. Unless I miss my guess, says the pastor, That bone is around 4,400 years old, the time of the deluge. So you best change the plaque to reflect that, says I. Well, this set off a back and forth between the misguided science types and the right-thinking Bible followers. There were a lot of you-have-no-right-tos and where-do-you-get-off thrown around, with the dean finally putting his foot down and saying, This is a place of learning, not superstition. The plaque stays as it is. "'Fine,' says I. "'Then as your benefactor, I'm taking my giant rib back home. "'Maybe donate it to that creationist museum in Kentucky.'" With that, I asked Pastor Wally to, quote, "'Find me some strapping lads to load it into my pickup.'" Well, Barnes and Selwyn, the two college eggheads, they wouldn't hear of it. "'Don't take our discovery,' begs the dean. "'Our matriculation's down 20%, "'our football team can't score a goal, "'and even China won't send their students to our school. "'We need that tusk.' "'At that, I cupped a hand to my ear and says, "'You need what?' "'Uh, says the dean, we need that thing from the... "'What's it?' "'Nephilim,' says Pastor Wally. Yes yeah, says the dean, "'that.' "'So, dear friends, we came to an agreement, "'those book-learned individuals and the Lord's faithful.' The artifact remains at the community college, but now it has a shiny new plaque that reads, Ribbone of a biblical giant killed in the great flood that launched Noah's Ark, donated by Farmer Gray, verified by Jesus. And that satisfies me. Although I've heard rumors that Dr. Barnes walks the calls between classes, mumbling, it's a mastodon, it's a, well, in lieu of the real world word, I'll say blanking. It's a blanking mastodon. I guess he just has a hard time accepting God's truth. But it's like I said at the beginning, those scientists, they ain't all that. No, sir. Play me out, Zeke.